Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by Dave. And for the second week in a row, we are talking about the Rangers after an exhilarating home victory. We are also, for the second week in a row, recording this podcast on the same day that some relatively significant uh, team news broke. So that's good. We aren't, uh, you know, doing the normal podcast trick here of, uh, of having, you know, having it be outdated by the time you listen to it. So uh, welcoming in Dave for this week's show. Uh, Dave, how you doing? How you feeling? Uh, especially after Tuesday night's victory over the Minnesota Wild at MSG. So I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, the Rangers are doing a little bit of actually having good process while also winning. It's nice to see finally all of it come together. And they kind of rescued Shesterkin from what was a rare off game. So I'm good. Yeah, that, I think that was the main takeaway from Tuesday night's win against Minnesota. And, I, you know, I mentioned that it was it, this is the second show in a row now that we're recording the day after or the night after an exhilarating home win. Obviously, the, the last one was Carolina last Tuesday. So last two Tuesdays at the Garden, very successful. And overall, you know, Dave, the other big story for me is and we talked about this a little bit last week. You know, the Rangers have overall a, a pretty mediocre home record. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. I could pull it up. But. Uh, they've won six of their last seven home games. So six and one in their last seven at Madison Square Garden. They are, I think, 12, two and two in their last 16 games. And as you mentioned, the overall process is is really starting to 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 find it. It's, you know, they're starting to find themselves in terms of getting back to dominating shots on goal, getting enough scoring chances to at least hang with the opponent, if not get more scoring chances than them. And I mean, you know, Tuesday night against the Wild, I think the Rangers had 90 total shot attempts to Minnesota's 49. Also, this stat sticks in my head only because I couldn't believe it when I read it. It was an Arthur Staples recap of the game on The Athletic. Adam Fox was on the ice for 57 shot attempts. That's wild. That is a crazy, crazy stat. And I'm sure that's not the record. I'm sure he would have told us if that was some sort of record. But that is one of the most outrageous individual numbers I've ever heard. Yeah, that 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 I was being cheeky to steal a British term and I said that's wild, but it is wild <laughs> to hear 90 shot attempts, 57 shot attempts on the ice for Fox. And if the Rangers are six and one in their last seven at home, that means they were four, six and four at home before this. That's all. That, that was awful. Right. Yes. That's an awful home four, record. That's four and, and ten. Four. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, four four OT losses. Even the Blue Jackets have a better record than that at home. Let's see. Let's look at the other tanking teams. Arizona, 7-5-2 at home. Yeah, Chicago. uh, Chicago is 7-14-2. So they weren't as bad as as the Blackhawks. Right. And Anaheim, 8-11-1 now. Well, now the Rangers are 10-7-4, so... That's good, and it kind of makes us want to go to the games a little more, knowing that they might actually show up for the fans, which is, you know, a novel concept. Yeah, I mean, look, the the energy in the building, I was lucky enough to be there Tuesday night, uh, was great. And I think it's, you know, look, the, the crowd does respond to the effort of the team, and I think that that's natural. You know, people talk about the atmosphere at Madison Square Garden, 
you know, whatever, saying things like, well, it isn't how it used to be and blah, blah, blah. And it, frankly, I've been to a lot of games over the years and it, it always boils down to how the team is playing. And the third goal, the tying goal that the Rangers scored with about seven minutes left in the game, you know, the ridiculous move by Fox to go around Flurry and tuck it back into the crease where Heedle did the right thing, crashed the net and forced the puck over the line, you know, for as ugly a goal as it was. And then with the uh, skirmish that followed, I said it in the group chat and I'm going to say it on here and I'm going to stand by it. It's my favorite goal of the year It because it kind of had everything. And that was really the Rangers at their best. And I think what was also encouraging about that, Dave, and, and we'll talk about, you know, or we'll wonder about and we'll see if this remains consistent. But the line that was on the ice for that goal, obviously Fox drove most of the play, but it was the Goodrow, Heedle, VZ line. It was the Rangers third line, which has been solid, but, you know, probably not. Uh, probably not putting up as much or generating as much offense as you would like. They're out there for that for that shift, and and ultimately it's you know Philip Heal scoring the goal and getting his 12th of the year. He's on a 22, 23 goal pace, which is which is awesome. Um, but that was good to see as well. And 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 back to the atmosphere. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, people were going nuts that whole shift. Culminates in a goal. Place went nuts. Singing the goal song during the fight. It was kind of had a, it was kind of a great moment, honestly. So. Um, yeah, good to see that the Rangers are kind of rounding into form at home. Um, but what else? And other I just want to point out. Go, yeah, go ahead, Dave. That shift is now the second shift of its nature that Philip Hedl was the center for. Remember the kid line shift against uh, Tampa? Yep, absolutely. Hedl Very similar shift. is a play driver. He is a good, good player. And he's going to make Trocek the third line center real fast. Which is fine. Yes, it is fine. Step down the I middle wins. Say. Yeah. And I mean, look, they, they can both have their roles, right? I would like to see Hedl get more power play time, even if that just means getting the second unit out there a little bit earlier. But Trocek can still be a very productive power play player. He's still going to be a key face off guy down the stretch. And I think he's if it's just regular against what he's a bitch to play against. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, too, you know, look, I think we often get hung up on the hierarchy of the lines, right? First, second, third, fourth. I think it's more important or or maybe more indicative of reality when you use terms like top six or middle six even. And I think, you know, if Trocek and Hedl are your quote unquote middle six centers, right, knowing that Zibanejad is your unquestioned, you know, one a top line center, then you have a really good mix there between Hedl and Trocek. They both give you a little bit of everything, but they also both have uh, they're not the same type of player. Um, So. Yeah, look, I think the Rangers are 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 pretty well set at the center position now. You know, we can have discussions about the salary cap, et cetera, and what that's going to look like. Philip Heedle obviously needs a contract ex- extension. But right now, looking at this team just solely as a contender for this, you know, upcoming spring, the 2023 playoffs, hard to do better than the Rangers down the middle, at least in terms of their top three with Zibanejad, Trocek, and Heedle. Yeah, it is very... Now, this is going to be a terrible comparison because, you know, I'm I'm going to say Crosby, Malkin, Stahl. You, you don't compare to Crosby, Malkin down the middle, obviously, for the Penguins. But the Rangers will have their own top tier center depth. And that's what wins championships. If you look at every single Stanley Cup winner, they have center depth. Goaltending is hit or miss. Blue line depth is hit or miss. Just look at those Chicago Blackhawks teams that are playing, you know, the corpse of Michael Roosevelt 30 minutes a night. <laughs> yep. Um, 
Wing depth is always questionable. Again, you can look at those Penguins teams that never really had wings. It's center depth wins. And if Heedle is your is rotating as a two three or a two C or a three C and him and Trocek are trading who's the shutdown guy and who's the scoring line guy for the roles that they're gonna play, that's really good center depth. Absolutely. And it's something that can that very few teams the Devils can't skate with that center depth. The Hurricanes can. The Penguins, they still have Crosby and Malkin. They're still Crosby and Malkin. Can, the Caps can't, although the Caps are white hot right now. But like very few teams in the East can skate with that depth. Yeah, and I think it, especially if Heedle continues on the trajectory that we've seen him on this year. Again, he's, you know, two or three points and goals and assists away from career highs in all three categories. I mean, he's right there. He's going to blow by those. You know, if he gets even a little bit hotter and he doesn't miss any time, knock on wood, because he does have some uh, what of an injury history down the second half of the season here. I mean, he could touch 50 points, which is insane Um, and, you know, speaks to the level of player he's become because he's basically doing all of that, uh, as we know, with limited power play time, you know, and and when he is out there with a unit that, you know, up until very recently has been, um, you know, I wouldn't call it dysfunctional, but it has not been the smoothest experience with, uh, you know, Jacob Truba, et cetera. And, you know, heaven knows what you're going to get from Alexi Lafreniere and stuff like that. So, you know, but no, Heedle's been consistent. Capo Caco's growth has been noted and talked about. He is, you know, has become a dominant top line wing, which is exactly what you hoped when you drafted him second overall. Um, so, yeah, look, the all positive stuff. Well, I shouldn't say all positive because that actually segues into my next point about this game. You mentioned it, first of all, Dave. Uh, Igor Shesturgan had an off night. He's allowed. He let in a couple of goals that he would have liked back. I know the Kaprizov goal was, you know, uh, uh, some people are pointing to Jacob Truba not not gapping up That's properly. No. But uh, I no. mean, the shots from five feet outside the dot, your goalie's got to stop it, even with the shot fake. And it's also not on Truba. That is poor forechecking by the forwards and no back checking. When you allow speed through the neutral zone, your defensemen have no choice but to back up. That's hockey 101. Right. Exactly. And, you know, Truba is uh, – people are going to find reasons to hate on Truba because, what, he's got an $8 million contract and he's not the guy that people wanted for captain? Oh, boo-fucking-who, get over it. You're not in the locker room. Shut the fuck up. That goal yeah. is not on Truba. If there's no back check, the defensemen have no – other option but the backup and that's it absolutely absolutely no and it's just one of those things that ultimately regardless of who's out there and what and what um our perception of that player is if you just look at it forget who the players are if you just look at it in terms of positioning and where the shot came from and and frankly where it entered the net short side high it's a goal that you need your goalie to stop and whatever. I'm not here to dump on Igor Shesterkin. So let's, let's get off that. I think yeah. the point is, and you said it before, David, just to reiterate it, the Rangers picked him up. They played well enough on offense um, and came from behind from two, two, zero down and from three, two down to, to, you know, get it to overtime and get the extra point in the shootout. And Igor did his job in the shootout, of course, stopping Kaprizov and stopping Freddie Gaudreau. The other though, negative from this game, of course, was, were the injuries, both to Julian Gauthier, who looks like he's going to be okay and play in Thursday night's game, 
uh, versus Dallas. But Chris Kreider is going to miss at least a few games with what uh, I think they've said is a sprained shoulder. Doesn't appear to be too serious, but he is going to miss some time. And so the knock-on effect of that, Dave, is Alexi Lafreniere gets his shot. He gets another shot on the top line. He practiced with Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider on Wednesday in that spot, and Gerard Gallant confirmed that he will at least start Thursday's game on the left side of that top line and on the first power play unit. So for all of the hand-wringing about Lafreniere's ice time and role and the fact that they have Panarin and Kreider ahead of him and all of these factors that have contributed to his uh, you know, slow start as an NHLer and his, you know, so far perceived lack of uh, ability to reach his potential. Here's his chance, right? He's going to have extended ice time with with very, very good players and a chance to prove that he does belong in that in, in that role for a team that's also gunning to win as many games as possible and, and you know, contend for a cup. So what are your overall thoughts about it? You know, here we are. It seems like we're now discussing Alexi Lafreniere every single week on this podcast. Do you so think he you kind of surprised me. You surprised me. I did not know he was going to get the power play one time. I, you know, I, I'll go back as you um, maybe give me your initial takes on that and just confirm that. But I think if you go and look at the um, quotes that came out of the out, out of the beat writers today from Gallant, he said he's going to play power play one. Oh. So I mean, I missed a lot today. Uh, work's been crushing me lately. You know, I missed the um, the decision. Signing, claiming, I missed that today. Uh, I, it's just been a hell of a week at work, so I'm I'm not doubting it. I just was caught off guard by it. Um, I am intrigued to see what that, not so much the even strength play, because we saw Lafcaco and Zabanjet play very well previously. I'm intrigued to see what the power play setup looks like. Are they going to put Laf as, they're going to move Trocek to the front of the net, but are they going to put, laugh as the bumper or are they going to leave that to Panarin and put laugh on the off wing, which opens up a lot more options because laugh will shoot the puck and it opens up that tic-tac-toe play that the caps used to like to run through TJ Yoshi in the, at the bumper roll. Yeah. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah it's, totally. it's a very subtle position, the bumper and all it takes is that one little step and stick movement to get open and as long as Trocek hits Panarin and Laugh hits Trocek, it works. So I am looking forward to that. Yeah, so let's – and I did find the quote finally, and, and this comes from Vince Mercagliano. Uh, after the press conference today, he said, Gallant confirms that Laugh will play in Kreider's spot on the top line. And so this isn't 100% confirmed, but it also sounds like Laugh will replace Kreider at the net front on power play one. So At the net front? Yeah, so I guess what they the want to see how he does there. I yeah. am so good. Whatever. You know what? I didn't think Trocek would be a good bumper, and I ate my words on that one. So I'll, I'm not going to say anything that's going to wind up with us calling me out next week. So <laughs> let's see how <laughs> this, it goes. This does also track, though, frankly, Dave, and we know Gerard Gallant at this point. He likes to, when stuff like this happens, not disrupt. He goes for the least disruptive uh, route usually. Yeah, that's true. And that's true. so I think rather than move Trocheck and, and have to have extend and today's practice was, or I should say Wednesday's practice was optional. So he wouldn't have even had the whole team together. 
rather than move Trocek's spot and, and uh, you know, have the other four guys need to adjust their games. You know, he's just going to stick laugh in Kreider's spot and, and let him go play on instinct, which might not be the worst thing in the world. And, you know, look, laugh has got a couple of deflection goals. He is a relatively big body. He has a had a reputation in junior being a physical player. I think that's a big part of the reason, in addition to the scoring, that all of the scouts ranked him the way they did. I mean, you know, he 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 certainly won over the hockey men in additional in, you know, in addition to sort of the new wave of prospect, you know, experts and prospect Twitter, the old hot, the old school hockey men loved him because he was physical. He hit, he had a, you know, he actually was considered to have a high motor in junior hockey. You know, I, I know we've talked about his, his effort and his, you know, at times laziness or aloof style of play that was not him in junior. So look, put him in a spot where he has to work his ass off, let him use his big body and let's see what happens on the power play. Other than that, as you said, uh, Dave, he's played with Zabanajad and Kako before to some success. I don't think it was perfect, but it, it worked fine. And, you know, as long as Kreider is out and as long as Laugh doesn't do anything to uh, immediately piss off his coaches, he should have extended minutes in that spot. And, and you know you're going to get plenty of ice time because because Zabanajad and Kapo Kako are going to get out there an awful lot at five on five. I'm intrigued to see what people determine the uh that statement it doesn't do anything to piss off his coaches i'm i'm intrigued to see what people think would fall in that category yeah because we've I covered mean, listen, yeah right well we have covered it and it's more about neutral zone away from the puck positioning uh in within the four check structure all that stuff he just isn't frankly doesn't look like he's paying attention all the time he looks like he kind of spaces out a little bit i mean you know that I know Julian Gauthier also has a little bit of that reputation uh, among his coaches. Um, but, uh, you know, Lafreniere, look, Julian Gauthier is, is a, is a uh, you know, he's kind of a bottom six NHLer. Lafreniere is a guy with a much higher ceiling than him. So you don't expect that. You frankly shouldn't find it acceptable if you're a coach. But at the same time, maybe it's just a habits thing. And maybe, again, the healthy scratch was was a potential wake up call. And now he gets a chance to to prove it, you know, to prove that he deserves this ice time by getting the ice time. You know, this is always the thing that drives me nuts about this argument is how circular it is, because. One end of the argument is, well, he needs the ice time and the other end of the argument is he needs to earn the ice time. So especially with Panarin and Kreider ahead of him in the lineup now, Kreider has been, you know, unfortunately, due to injury, uh, eliminated as an option. So. Obviously, we hope he's not out for a long time and it doesn't appear he will be. But Lafreniere gets his chance. Um, you know, uh, Dave, have you seen in, in Lafreniere's whatever it's been, five, six games since he got back in the lineup? What have you thought of, of him that you've noticed, by the way? And and if you don't have much to say there, frankly, I don't blame you because I was at the game last night and I, or on Tuesday and I was I was trying to watch him when he was out there. And I tell you what, man, at times there's just not a lot going on with him. <laughs> It's 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 unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, it's so it's it's an unfortunate circumstance, um, you know, or an unfortunate reality right now. And, and, you know, I don't think I'm being overly negative here. I'm trying to be as fair as possible, but I just don't see a lot. But I, maybe maybe you've seen different from me. I have not. Um, I don't know if it's a product of confidence because. He's been kind of jerked around the lineup a little bit. He doesn't get. The minutes that a number one overall pick gets, but I haven't seen any change away from the puck. I have seen him respond 
to being bumped up the lineup. And this isn't to say he's bad. It's to say he's supremely talented who needs to mature a little bit. He's, what, 21 years old? Yeah, yes. Think about where you, everybody who's listening right now, take a step back. Where were you at 21 years old? I know where I was, or at least I think I do. I don't remember much of senior year of college. Exactly. Same. And I think most people listening would say the same thing. I was a, I was an immature idiot at 21 years old. I had no idea which way was up or down and what yep. time it was and what day it was half the time, of course. And he's not a, he's not Connor McDavid. I, look at how long it took Rasmus Dahlin to figure it out. I mean, these guys need time. I am very optimistic that he will turn into something that was worth the number one overall pick. But we do have to see him start addressing things that we've called out on the site. And if we're seeing it, we know that, well, we should think that the coaches are seeing it. And if, the, if we're looking for hope, just remember we were having these conversations about Kako last year. Now look at what Kako's doing this year. Yeah. It's Kako's yeah. fourth year, laughs in his third year. Yeah, and, and, and it's his second real NHL season because his first NHL season was a 56-game, COVID-shortened, no crowds, playing against the same seven teams season. You know, And eight of those games were against a really bad Devils team. Eight of those games were against a really good Bruins team. So it, it just was such a wonky season that – it's hard to really use that as a springboard or hold it against anybody. You know, look, it was it was it was NHL action against NHL players, and it was certainly valuable for his growth. But, you know, we also have detailed the fact that he he couldn't have the normal uh, post-draft journey. He couldn't have he also couldn't play in the AHL. That wasn't even an option for him. So, you know, in some ways, a lot of factors were working against his development. I would agree that the Rangers certainly haven't helped it, but. You know, uh, it, it, it's also, you know, Gallant gave some pretty extended quotes today about about Lafreniere and about kind of just the predicament that he is in when trying to find ice time for a number one overall pick. And, and you know, I, I don't blame Gerard Gallant for saying things like, well, it's, you know, listen, it's my job to win hockey games every night, you know, and, and development does somewhat take a backseat to that. I know that that angers people. That pisses off a lot of the fan base, but that's how it is. Uh, you know, do you, uh, do we really want that? You know, because the other option is what, right? You get rid of Kreider and Panarin. You make your team a lot, lot worse. But Alexi Lafreniere gets all the ice time he needs. And then you're waiting however long it takes for him to actually get it and for it to click. And then you're probably still a winger short or a player short because you've gotten rid of two of your best. So it just the whole thing doesn't really make sense to me when when you when you kind of add the arguments up from a logical perspective and try and stack it all up. I hate to say that say it, but it, it kind of just is what it is with him. And so let's see what he does with this opportunity. Yeah. And remember it took Kako a couple of opportunities in scoring roles and then it took that kid line to really get him moving. You never know what clicks for one guy and what worked for Kako isn't going to work for Lafreniere, development's not linear. You have to have a little bit of faith that they, the Rangers know what they're doing, even though they have a terrible track record with this. And you have to have a little bit of hope that Lafreniere is not Nail Yakupov. 
Yeah, and look, I mean, I'll slightly disagree with you there, Dave. I I, I think they have a spotty track track record. I wouldn't call it terrible. I mean, we're literally talking about how dominant Capocacco is. He was has yeah, been developed fair. by the Rangers. Pavel Buchnevich, I know he's gone, developed by the Rangers. Philip Hedl, developed by the Rangers. Chris Kreider, developed by the Rangers. Derek Stepan, developed. This is like it's there's so many counterexamples to, oh, they suck at developing forwards. Now, look, I, they have not had a generational forward, period. The only generational forwards that have ever played for the team have been acquired from outside the organization, Artemi Panarin being the latest one. And I think you, you can count Mika Zibanejad in that. Um, I don't know that he's generational, but he's you know certainly elite in his current generation. Uh, that is what it is, and that's very frustrating because, my God, the, the, the number one solution to this franchise's lack of Stanley Cups is to have Connor McDavid or, or Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin fall into your lap in the draft. Unfortunately, that's not Alexi Lafreniere, at least right now. Could he become that? I don't know. That's probably not realistic, but... Could he become the forward version of Rasmus Dahlin, right? A very, very good player that scores at a point per game pace and can be a legitimate contributor on a contender. That's what we're hoping for. So, um, look, let's see. I think we'll we'll certainly spend more time on next week's show dissecting how Lafreniere does in that role on the top line and especially on the power play. Dave, I think you know just to get back to that for a second, I'm really intrigued by that as well. I, you know, I. And that power play unit has struggled. I mean, the, you know, the, the first power play unit, again, gets a, a four on three in overtime, cannot cash in. I know the fact that they didn't put a lefty out there for four on three was driving people nuts. Oh, God. Uh, they got a couple Don't of really good chances. But, uh, you know, Flurry also had a really good game for Minnesota. It's as much of a reason they didn't score as their own uh, lack of imagination uh, on the power play. But um, any final thoughts on Lafreniere before we move on? No, I think we've said all we need to say on this at this point. He will – we'll see. We'll see how this goes. We'll see how he plays in the playoffs. And, you know, they're not going to trade him. So no. anybody who thinks they're going to trade him, back off. The Rangers aren't trading any of these big guys. The last time they were even thinking about trading any of their top prospects was for JT Miller. <laughs> and first off, they dodged a fucking bullet there. And sure did. Second – they knew which guys they wanted to deal from. They were okay dealing Heedle in that because, A, Heedle hadn't become what he is right now at that point in time. That's right. And Miller had another year left and was a center. So you're okay That's dealing right. from that position there. And it sounded like they were going to – well, actually, makes you wonder if they were going to assign Trocek if they didn't get Miller, but that's a whole other what if. And then we knew Niels Lundqvist was never going to be a Ranger or a full-time ranger so that's number two and then a first-round pick is a first-round pick so that was the only time we've heard recently that the rangers were actually considering trading any of their big guys anybody that's going to try to argue the caco for kane thing is full of shit and they're pulling off a stupid rumor i don't even know where that started they were never trading caco for kane yeah like, no that's yeah. dumb yeah i agree uh but okay, so no, I, and and I no, I'm in full agreement with you. I, I don't think there's a trade in in anyone's future or in the Rangers' future regarding Alexi Lafreniere. And I just think in general, you know, this is about opportunity now, and he's getting the opportunity. So you know, yep. maybe we can at least for my sanity stop with all the chatter about his ice time and policing the minutes at the end of every period. Let's just see how it goes. Let's watch him play these the you know hopefully not that many games, but three, four, five games, and you know with Chris Kreider out with a shoulder injury. On the top line, it's what everyone wants to see. It's going to happen. Let's see it happen. The 
Ice Time Police. That's something I'm glad I never fully kind of got into was watching the Ice Time. Good Lord. Yeah, no, I, it drives me nuts. Um, and I could say more on it, but I'm not going to because we're going to move on. Okay, the other, uh, I referred to it earlier. We uh, got more news regarding the Rangers roster on the day that we're recording the podcast. So, again, like last week, we were able to talk a little bit about the Jimmy VZ extension while it was fresh in everybody's mind. We can talk about the move the Rangers made today, which was to claim from the Vegas Golden Knights, Jake Lecision is how you pronounce it. He had a father named Curtis who played in the NHL back in the 90s. Um, he that he played for Vegas. Uh, so, yeah, the Rangers claimed Jake Lecision off of waivers from Vegas. He has a very easy stat line to remember. Zero goals, zero assists, zero points in 22 games. He did have two goals, four assists, six points in about 40-some-odd games last year, 41 games, I think. And he did put up 27 points in the AHL last season as well in 34 games. So there is something there. And he and he and that was as a 22 year old. That's you know, it's not the same thing as a 30 year old, you know, kind of quadruple A veteran going and scoring at a, at a pace like that in the AHL. He's still a young player, developing player at that at that point. So, you know, he's a, he's a left handed shot. He's a he's a decent face off taker also for a young uh, young player. And he does have some penalty killing experience. So that is likely the reason behind the Rangers making this acquisition. So, Dave, uh, I don't think we need to get into, um, you know, visualizing charts or, or, or talking about visualized charts on a podcast since people can't see them. But we all looked at them. They're pretty ugly. He 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 grades out by most advanced metrics as one of the worst somewhat regular players in the NHL. So on surface level, this looks like a pretty mindless acquisition by the Rangers. But what is your thought on it? So, I have two thoughts. The first is, he is most likely just a 13 or 14 forward or center, or so 5C, 6C, however we want to call it. Yeah, or he's, he's yeah, not going to get ridiculous no. playing time. He, at the very least, will give them another center option if Brodzinski's game goes to hell. Or if they prefer Goodrow in the top nine as opposed to playing fourth line center. But from an extremely selfish reason, I absolutely hate this claim. And it makes no sense at all if you aren't kind of writing every day. It took me too fucking long to figure out how to spell his name. And I was writing that claim post. It took me more time to spell his name properly the five times it was mentioned in the article then it did for me to write the rest of it. I can't yeah. stand when we claim players that I can't spell their names. Yeah, fair point, Dave. It's a it's a ridiculous name both to spell no, and to say. It's not a fair point. It's a dumb point. <laughs> but I'm standing by it. I, I hate it because I can't spell his fucking name. Yeah. Um, I remember actually being a young kid when, uh, you know, when his father Curtis played, I think originally for the Nordiques and then the Colorado Avalanche. That also is, and this is something that a few folks called out on Twitter and, and it is worth mentioning. I believe that there are some connections both to Gerard Gallant from when he was with Vegas and decision was in the system. I don't know how much he would have played for directly for Gallant. Um, but also I believe Drury played with his dad in Colorado. So that is something where you're like, all right, there's a little bit of like nepotism here. And is that part of the decision making? And 
It's not going to be the first time. It certainly isn't the first time it happens. It unfortunately is likely not going to be the last time something like this happens. It also exists in all sports. You've got coaches, sons in football, and you've got, you know, even in the Knicks, one of their players, their dad's on the coaching staff. Jalen Brunson's dad, Rick, is on the Knicks coaching staff. This is not uncommon um, by any stretch of the Devils drafted Brodeur's son, even though he was never a legitimate NHL prospect. They sure did. They sure did. And, you know, the, I, there was the fourth stall brother who got drafted and got a shot, even though he was clearly not an NHL caliber player. What was his name? Was that what was his that name? That was Jared. Jared Stahl. Right. Well, poor one out for Jared Stahl. Yeah, he's the such Cooper, an afterthought. The, the Cooper Manning of the Stahl family. Uh, <laughs> he is. That's a fair point. I, you know, that's not a no, bird. You're right. Um, but no, I mean, listen, look, I'm I'm certainly one who looks at analytics and and appreciates analytics, of course. And we cite them all the time on this podcast and in our, you know, discussions on Twitter. But I also think, and I was, I was formulating these thoughts before the podcast and sharing them with some of our, of our colleagues. Uh, We, how often have we seen Dave that the Rangers will trade a guy or get rid of a guy who has obscenely bad metrics. Then he goes somewhere else and plays a lot better. And somebody tweets out the chart inevitably. And it's like, here were his two years on the Rangers and everything was like, you know, horrible. He's like a 2% war player uh, or, you know, he's like a two standard deviations worse than every single player in the NHL on the, the RPM chart. Um, and then he goes to another team and it's like a flip and the whole chart's blue. I can think of Neil Pionk that happened with. I can think of Brett Howden that happened with his first year with Vegas, at least. I'm thinking of Mark Stahl, who was, a, you know, an abomination, frankly, for Dan the Rangers Girardi. the last four or five seasons. And he went to Detroit and was a perfectly solid defenseman. Dan so Girardi, JT Miller, although JT both Miller, were yes. pre-evolving hockey charts. Yeah. Yeah. So those exactly. guys. Um, exactly. So right. there's something that I'm going to say that a lot of people it, it's difficult to account for this. And unfortunately, the nuance gets lost amongst the stats community. And this is stuff that we've spoken about with multiple chart people that produce these charts. You can't account for systems and systems matter. Yeah. The way these guys are playing and the way they're told to play on the ice matters. There's a reason why the Rangers went out and got more north south players. They wanted to play north-south, and that's why uh, they go out and they get a Trocheck. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. when they get rid of a Howden, who was – I mean, Grant Howden was playing under David Quinn, so I have no idea. Quinn didn't really have systems here, so just playing under structure helped Howden. You know, it, it all of this matters, and right. that's why when we post a chart, at least our collective – group chat when we post charts both in our chat and on twitter we at least try to give some level of explanation as to why like people were posting trochex charts and they're awful this year they're not what they were last year and it a lot of it is because his on ice shooting and save percentage is down this year and shoot well shooting percentage mostly, and that is a role in the charts they were posting. That is a stat that is an input into it. And if he's hitting 75 posts a game, which it feels like, that number is going to come down. 
And right. that nuance is lost. And that nuance, you could take that nuance and apply it to Gallant plays a 1-2-2 two, two for the most part. It's a little bit more aggressive. And some players perform a little bit better as opposed to playing in a 2-1-2 two, two, or a less aggressive 1-2-2 two, two, or a left-wing lock or anything like that. Coaches aren't really original, so there's three or four systems that they run. But it's about finding that right system and that right home for that player. Howden fit in well that first year in Vegas. Pionk was was great in Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah, and he was in, a, in a, he was kind of in a free reign offensive role with Morrissey playing with him, so it it really helped him. And I think your point about structure also, Dave, is great because that's clearly what I think both Mark Stahl and Dan Girardi benefited from when they left. You know, the Rangers were just they were asking them to do way too much in that AV system, and you oh, know, God, then, that AV system, yeah. Then they went and to Peon played where they in that were, too. Right, right, exactly. And Peon could skate, but that you know he was a young defenseman trying to play that system. So, but for uh, the uh, for those, I just want to go through what uh, Av went through with the defense. So when Av was here, the Rangers played a hybrid defensive zone system. They played an overload, which is more of a zone strong side overload, kind of swarm the puck, and right. that's what the forwards did. The defense played man coverage, but the defense was supposed to release their man at the faceoff dots. When you're combining the two, that's why Stahl and Girardi had so many problems. That's why Pionk had so many problems. The defensemen were never releasing. And that's why the defensive structure for the Rangers under AV was awful. So you see Pionk go to Winnipeg, something much more structured and simpler to learn. And all of a sudden, he's got great defensive metrics. Shocker. Yep. Yeah, and look, just back to getting back to Jake Lecision. So I think there's a couple of things here that that come to mind for me is, first of all, let's keep in mind the role that they are going to ask this player to play. It's going to be extreme, extremely limited. He is going to be most likely when the Rangers are fully healthy. They're they're probably their 14th forward. Maybe he's the 13th forward if the Rangers, I don't know, move on from Sammy Blay. By the way, this also signals to me that they may be over Sammy Blay completely because, you know, Lecision can kind of do a little bit more uh, than Blay can with a lot more speed. You know, if he's got any foot speed at all, he's faster than Sammy Blay. And he can take some faceoffs. And again, he's done some penalty killing. So there's that. And 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 so the role that he's being asked to play is limited. And I think, you know, the, the amount of hand wringing that that this fan base did today over this signing was just it was frankly, I shouldn't say it was shocking because it wasn't. But it's just ridiculous. I mean, this is not a player that. Is really going to matter in the grand scheme of things. Now, look, it would be great, ideally, if he comes in and, uh, you know, scores a couple of big goals and maybe does play a role, you know, finds a home as an effective kind of like four checker, fourth line, bottom of the lineup player. But but most likely this is a stopgap extra forward solution until the trade deadline when they inevitably bring back Tyler Mott, first of all, and settle on a fully healthy when they have a fully healthy lineup, settle on a bottom six. He will probably be out of the lineup completely. You know, I'm the other thing to is to see if they actually do go get Tyler Mott. Yeah, well, I, that's certainly out there as a possibility. The other thing, though, that I just do want to reiterate is he did score a little bit in the AHL. And, and I don't think that you can immediately discount that because, 
again, this is different from because I, I can hear it now or, you know, or see it now on Twitter. Well, Ryan Carpenter has nine goals in 10 games in, in the AHL. Yes, Ryan Carpenter is also a 30-year-old pro who has played a lot at the NHL level, and he's clearly what you would call a quadruple-A player. LeCision did what he did, scoring 27 points in, I think it was 33 AHL games last year, as a young player. And again, and by the way, I know people brought up Gustav Rydahl, or Rydahl, however you say his name, uh, as well. Why not just call him up? And I know scoring isn't the only thing that matters, especially for a bottom-six player. Riedall has nine points in 25 games. He's been scratched a few times. He might even be scratched in tonight's game and Wednesday night's games. I don't know if that's maybe because the Rangers are calling him up because they are banged up. You know, there's a lot of things we don't know here. But the point of the of uh, that I'm trying to make is beyond the charts that we see from evolving the evolving, uh, you know, hockey guys and from Jay Fresh and all those. There are professional scouts who watch these players. There's tons of video on these players. And the Rangers saw a guy sitting there that they could claim for just cap space uh, and a minimal amount of cap space at that. And they thought, you know what, this is worth, worth taking a flyer on a guy like this because we don't have a guy like this in our system currently. And whether or not and, and this is the only question I have for you, Dave, and maybe you could clarify this because I'm sure some people are wondering it as well. You know, could they send him down? You know, I know he was obviously being put through waivers uh, with the idea by Vegas with the idea that if he cleared, they were probably going to send him down back to their AHL squad. Um, if the Rangers decide it's not working out, can they send him down or does he need to stay on the roster because he's already been put on waivers once? I think there is a month long period of time before the Rangers can waive him. Right. So that basically takes you right now, not right into the deadline, but it takes the Rangers right through the all-star break in their bye week. So there's not many games that they're playing for starters. And I think the rule is if they plan on waiving him, they have to offer him back to Vegas first. Interesting. And then play him. I'm not 100% on that, and I didn't have enough time to prep on the waivers rules. Just, you know, again, today kind of got away from me a bit. So I think that's what it is. I think they have to offer him back to Vegas if they waive him before a month is up or before that predetermined time is up. And after that, they can do whatever they want. But he did pass through 20 teams, 22 teams. The Rangers were 10th on the waiver order. 22 teams passed on him. The Rangers were 10th to last on the claim. Vegas is is behind them on the waiver claim list. So there's nine teams left. And if you look at those nine teams, the only team that could possibly claim him that has the room and potentially the need and the ability to play him would be Seattle who right. I, I was shocked actually has a better points percentage than the Rangers. Yeah, they've been hot lately and Seattle's had a good year. They yeah. are definitely in the playoff picture there in the Western conference. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't look, think I mean, waving him is a risk at some point, but uh, I think they have to keep him on the team for a little bit. Right. Yeah. And, and look, I think the Rangers do have a habit of when they acquire a guy like this, I think we will see him play. I, I don't think that, yeah. I don't think he's going to just come here and, and be in street clothes. I think you'll probably see him get in the lineup. I don't know if it'll be Thursday, but maybe by Sunday against Montreal. And let's see I what would he's say got, Sunday. You know. Yeah, that would make sense. Let's and see what he's, he's got. He's not you know. taking a key guy out of the lineup either. No, no. And that's the other thing. You know, I know people have these nightmares about, you know, he's going to replace whoever. <laughs> Alexi Lafreniere in the lineup. That is clearly not what's happening here. He's, he's another option. 
a la Blay, a la Brodzinski at the bottom of the lineup. And that's, again, you know, we've spent a good 10 minutes on it already, Dave, but it's really not something worth really wringing hands over, I think. No, it's not. I joked with the uh, RAPM chart on Twitter that if they were trying to upgrade from Blay, there's probably a better option out there. But for free, great. And also, he's not replacing Blay. Well, I'm not going to let me walk that back. He's not a direct replacement for Blake because Blake's a winger. Right. But I'm sure they would like another option aside from Brodzinski as the fourth line center. Yes. So why not look at it? And yeah. like you said, they could have just called up Riedel, right, right, however you pronounce his last name. I wouldn't be shocked if they do that too and put, at the very least, Kreider on IR. Mm. You have to miss five games if you go on IR, right? So, yeah, so if Carter goes on IR, that basically takes him right into the bye week. Right. And then all of a sudden he can be fully healthy and not worry about a bum shoulder for the rest of the year. Kreider can't play with a bum shoulder. He that being able to freely move your shoulder is key in actually deflecting pucks and also, you know, taking the beating in the front of the net. Yeah, it's also it's his left shoulder, too, I think, if you watch yeah. the hit again. So that's his strong, his bottom hand, his strong side. So, um, um, yeah. Looking at the um, the schedule, they got Dallas, then back-to-back Montreal-Columbus, Boston on the 19th, that's four. Florida on the 23rd is the fifth game. And then two games, Toronto-Vegas, right. before the Rangers have what amounts to 10 days off. Right, so seven games before that bye week. Uh, pretty interesting stretch. And, you know, we'll we'll certainly, uh, you know, look at that as well. Maybe on next week's show, we'll kind of see see examine some of those games and look ahead to, uh, you know, the, the, the bye week, because, um, you know, that's all you always want to go into a break like that hot. And, you know, you'd never want to be sitting around for 10 days looking at the standings and being like, shit, we went, you know, two and five in those seven games as opposed to five and two. And, you know, hopefully we don't have to go there. But um no, and, and I think last point on this, and then we will get to the questions. I think that what this also tells you is that they're probably done considering Ryan Carpenter for any role on this team, because this is essentially a younger replacement for uh, you. Like you said, Dave, another fourth line center option, which is what Carpenter was earlier in the year. And that you know just didn't really work out. Um, I know he had decent numbers previously. Uh, you know, when you want to look at defensive metrics and things like that. But, you know, I think we can agree that Carpenter wasn't really the right fit for this team, especially early in the season. Yeah, I think you're right. So, yeah, yeah I think that you're that's, right. what, that's what that tells me. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. Um, all right, let's get to the questions. And we have quite a few, so we're going to try and move through them quickly. First one comes from Michael Silvers at M Silvers 1979 on Twitter. In the name of cap space, is Braden Schneider's continued development making it easier to move on from Jacob Truba when his full no-move clause is up in a couple of seasons? More so than any winger is making it easier to move on from Kreider when his full no-move clause is up. So, you know, uh, obviously a cap space-centric question uh, from Michael Silvers here. Dave, I want to let you handle this one since I know you've got you've had plenty of thoughts on how this is all going to shake out and the way the Rangers have kind of you know, set up their chessboard here, uh, you know, given their the cap situation for the coming two to three off seasons. I pulled it up so I can, um, I have to visualize the question. So 
cap space for you know Schneider's development for Truba. His Nomuva is up in. I have to pull up cap friendly too. I'm very unprepared right now. Sorry. So Truba's Nomuva is up not this season, but and not next season. So 24, 25. So we're looking at July 1st, 2024, as the first time the Rangers will trade can trade Truba without having to go through the no move. I I don't think they move on from him then. I don't think they're going to be looking to move Truba. I know people hate him this year for whatever reason. I don't think Truba is a guy they look to move. They can. I don't think they will immediately. It does for, it does give them more to answer the actual question. It does give them more flexibility to move on from him, especially if this is not a blip of an offseason for him. Uh, right. I, I mean, generally speaking, yeah, if you have a cheaper player that is outperforming a more expensive player, it gives you the wiggle room to move them. Generally speaking, I don't see them moving on from Kreider at all. No. he's the. I think he finishes his career as a Ranger, and the reason why I'm saying that is not about Laugh or Kako or Kravtsov or Heedle or anything like that. I just think his skill set is so difficult to duplicate, and it ages somewhat well. Just look at Tomas Holmstrom and how long he played in the NHL and was productive. He was a 20-goal scorer through, like, age 36 or something like that. I think Kreider retires as a Ranger. I do think Truba gets traded, but I don't think Schneider has anything to do with it. I think he's still one of the guys that— when the Rangers are ready to give the reins to that next group, they'll look to move on from a Goodrow, a Truba, or maybe Truba just helps keep everything set. I Of all the guys that they move, I don't think Truba and Kreider are them. I think it's Trocek. I think it's Panarin. I also just want to pump the brakes a little bit on this idea that Braden Schneider can duplicate and or surpass what Jacob Truba gives you. Now, I know Truba has not had a, a good year this year, but he had a pretty good year last year. And I think, again, trying to play, you know, to factor in the, the, the human element here, it's his first season at cap as captain. The team did not get off to a good start, despite the fact that they were playing well. And this team went through a pretty deep valley where we were questioning whether or not the coach was going to be here if they didn't win that game against the St. Louis Blues. I mean, it... You know, Arthur Staples said as much in his midseason uh, report card article. You know, this team was minutes away from having their head coach fired. And then you never know what happens with your season at that point. Um, Braden Schneider's been excellent. He's also, you know, he's playing. He's playing 14 minutes a night with Ben Harper, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. The offense has been great, too. It's a nice addition. His defense has been solid. He's kind of already giving you league average and, in, in, you know, he's barely been in the league a year. But I think you got to be very careful when you're, you know, going out here on a limb and saying that guy can replace Jacob Truba, who, while overpaid at eight million dollars a year, is a hell of an NHL defenseman. Uh, and that is not something that I am ready to jump to the conclusion and say, yeah, that's the case. So, um, you know, look, I, I just want I think let's just have them both on the same team for a while because Schneider can play a limited role and be effective. And Truba can, you know, 
play that middle pair role and be effective. Now, you know, again, is it the pairings right and all that? I don't want to have that discussion right now. But replacing Jacob Truba, I don't think, is just as easy as a one-for-one swap for Braden Schneider. That's my final answer. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Okay, cool. Next question from Immortal Lou at Immortal Lou 30. Should more blame be placed on Jed Ortmeier when it comes to player development? He has been the director of player development since 2017, a time frame that includes Leas Kravtsov and Nils Lundqvist all wanting out. So that's an interesting question. I, I'm glad that Lou didn't go with the whole we can't develop forwards thing because I think we can easily disprove that. But yes, there have certainly been some player relations issues and, and communications issues with some of the Rangers high end prospects. Now, um, just I'll, you know, I'll, I'll start Dave and I'll let you pick up from there. First of all, Leah Anderson is not an NHL player. So that was just a whiff. The guy is just not an NHLer. It is what it is. He was a bust. He was overdrafted in that slot and we can move on. That entire Nils area Lundquist, of that draft, by the way, was awful. Like if you look yeah. at seven through like 13, it's just a terrible draft. Yes, the Rangers were not the only team that was guilty of reaching or, or making a bad pick. Uh, Niels Lundqvist, not, uh, never had a future, you know, d- didn't really factor into the Rangers' plans because of Adam Fox. And even, even I would even say even Jacob Truba doesn't really impede him that much because Keandre Miller's here. And you're really looking for Jacob Truba to be, even though this is not his strength, more of that stay-at-home type of defenseman. You know, I don't think he should be quarterback in the second power play. Again, that's kind of a separate but but slightly related uh, related factor here. Uh, they've mended fences with Kravtsov, and he looks awesome. I mean, the guy looks like a legitimately – he looks like he's got a legitimately high, really good ceiling um, and might live up to his draft slot. So, you know, again, let's get back to Lou's question. I'll let you take it from there, Dave. You know – does Jed Ortmeier deserve his share of blame here? I wish I knew more about Ortmeier's day to day. I I struggle with guys in these roles because of that. So does Jed Ortmeier deserve blame? I, I have to say yes, because it's his job to develop players. But we also need to start looking at the coaches who are also charged with developing players. Hartford has been a disaster for a long fucking time now. They, it's been everybody's goal to get out of Hartford, not because, Oh, I want to be in the NHL. It's because Hartford is just toxic and Fort Myers to blame. Drury is to blame because he was the GM of Hartford for a while before he became GM of the Rangers. Ken Jernander is to blame. Um, Knobloch, Chris Knobloch, I think he's still the coach there. Is to he's still the coach? Yeah, they had a guy yeah. named Keith McCambridge was the coach for a while. Yeah, Hartford's yeah. a disaster, so that's a problem here. Um, Mark Chiacchio, uh, I'm gonna butcher this guy's name. <laughs> I think well, I think it's Chiacchio, and that's Chiacchio. my come through. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, th- thank you. I should have deferred to you on how to pronounce his name. <laughs> uh, he has been the Rangers for like. <laughs> skills and I'm putting air quotes around skills coach for oh god 10 years 15 years at this point he's been with the Rangers for way too long and he had a bad rep coming from the Arizona I think it was the Phoenix Coyotes at this point (laughs) when the Rangers hired him out of there he had a bad rep as a snake oil salesman and a terrible skills coach then 
He still has a terrible rep. I don't know why he's still with the Rangers. And he's a name that has flown under the radar until very recently. And it, he shouldn't fly under the radar. If we're talking about jumping back to Lafreniere, his skating needs work. Che- Help me out again. Chiaccio, Mark Chiaccio. Chiaccio, as a skills coach, as a skating coach, should have worked with Lafreniere. He hasn't. Well, we haven't seen Lafreniere make strides. So Chiaccio right. gets a ton of blame, too. I don't think it's one person. I do think we focus on the people at the higher ups, like Drury, because it's easy and, you know, the buck does stop with them. But to answer the original, yeah, Ortmeier definitely deserves blame, but I think a lot of it goes to Chiaccio, too. And everybody yeah. else, Tanner Glass is one of these development guys. Um, a lot of former Rangers are development guys. Yeah. Well, and to your point, Dave, I, I, on that, it's an organizational failure when when you're when you don't have a good kind of track record when it comes to player development. And that's just what this is. It it, it is everybody uh, from the top down shares the blame. And I think, you know, the, the good organizations are always on the same page when it comes to this stuff. And, you know, you talk about things like Hartford, right? They should be playing and I think they are to some extent, but they should be playing the same system. There, there should be a consistency in the experience, bet- you know, that players get you know, from Hartford to the NHL level and all that stuff. So um, it's it's more of like a, you know, I hate to use such a corporate sounding term, but it's kind of like a vertical integration question, right? Like, and, and I don't know that the Rangers have the right folks in place to really do that. And, and you know, look, I think, uh, and I was not someone who got up in arms about the JD firing from a couple of years ago, uh, you know, but I think he definitely, as a president of the New York Rangers hockey club, right, with uh, under which the Hartford Wolfpack player development at large, drafting and scouting, all that falls under the president's remit, right? The GM is more supposed to focus on the the day-to-day of the, of the pro club of the Rangers. I think that we probably would have seen more progress in that regard if JD was able to stick around and build out the infrastructure of the organization in his image uh, and the way he wanted to do it. So that was probably the the miss there, uh, the the biggest miss. You know, I don't think the pro club has been affected that much. Um, Jury has kind of taken the, you know, the Gorton plan for the New York Rangers and kind of carried it through with his t- spin on it. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think player development is definitely a larger organizational issue. So um, good question from Lou. And, uh, you know, I think plenty of blame to go around. But also, I think you could also look at it and think, you know, basically see that things aren't as bad as uh, as they seem at times. All right. Next question comes from Anthony Cacchioli. See another Italian name. I hope I got it right. Cacchioli25 on Twitter. Do you think with Kreider out, the Rangers should put Tro- Trocek in Kreider's spot? on the power play as the net front since he's good around the net and put laugh on the half wall. So Dave, we were discussing this exact thing (laughs) earlier in the show. We did cover it. I did want to read the question anyway, but I mean, look, I'll throw out one other idea, um, which probably people aren't really going to like, although I don't think it'll piss too many people off. I wouldn't put Lafreniere on that power play unit. I put Heedle on it. And then I would put Heedle on the half wall because that guy has a great one timer and a great overall shot that he doesn't get to use enough, especially from prime shooting areas, because he's playing center at five on five. And there's a lot of dirty work to be done when you're doing that. I would love to, for him to get some time standing in that right wing circle just to fire away. 
That's my spin uh, the, on, on that question. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I would prefer laugh on the half wall. But whatever, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I do think the other thing about Lafreniere is, he, he, you know, he's supposed to be a little bit more of a playmaker than we've seen. And from the half wall, there's more play, playmaking potential. Um, all right, we've got one more from that came through uh, from Nick Fischetti that came straight to you, Dave. But you did, uh, you know, CC the rest of us on the uh, Blue Seats Live account. According to Cap, this is from N Fischetti 24. According to Cap Friendly, Rangers are projected to have 5.4-ish million in cap space at the deadline. We know Drury has an attachment to Blay, but could they waive him? That would free up more space if someone picked him up. We would then have serious flexibility at the deadline. So what do you think? Do you think they waive Sammy Blay? Another thing we've talked about a lot. You see, I am torn. There's the part of me that believe that believes Drury is stubborn and wants to see it work with Blay. At the very least, through the end of this year's contract, because he's an unrestricted free agent. I don't think he's back with the Rangers next year anyway. But now I see a decision being claimed. We hear the Tyler Mott rumors. Tyler Mott makes 1.3 million, 1.35 million this season. Blaze 1.525. I I think waving is the last resort. I think the Rangers try to trade him to free up some cap space. You know, maybe just in a Ryan Reeves kind of a trade. A team looking for a fourth liner who is more of a four checker grinder that yep. they're willing to take a shot on knowing that he had a pretty bad knee injury last year and hopefully he'll get better as he heals. Yeah. I have a hard time seeing them waving him. Although again, well, and, and you did say this earlier, Dave, you know, Jake decision is, is not a blade replacement. He's a different type of player. But even just bringing in another body like that does make me at least consider the possibility that his days are numbered. You know, maybe there's another, you know, oftentimes moves like that are made kind of in the other direction. And you're like, oh, is there a corresponding move coming? Right. They put someone on waivers or or whatever. They send someone down and you're like, wait, so what's the what's the next domino to fall? Maybe it just does increase the the chances of something happening with Sammy Blade before the trade deadline. It, it is hard for me to see them waving him, though. Um, and, and I also think that, you know, look, I, I think at this point, the Patrick Kane ship has sailed completely, which is I think we're Thank thankful God. for considering Thank he's not God. the player that they need. He's not the player he was. And now he's injured. He may need surgery. I, I don't even know what the injury is. I, I didn't get caught up on that. But it's a hip injury. Right. So he's hip injuries are rough, by the way. Yeah. Look at Nick Backstrom. The hips are a little yeah. pretty important. <laughs> it's all in the hips. It's all in the hips. So. With that kind of ship having sailed, 5.4 million is more than enough space to get done what the Rangers need to get done, which is add a middle or bottom six forward, add a sixth defenseman to supplant Harper, and go from there. I mean, they have a good enough team. And and, and look, you know, Rob Luker tweeted it earlier. You know, he does his kind of um, monthly metrics check-ins with just the key, you know, shot attempts and expected goals. Look, the Rangers are in pretty good shape. They're in that top half of the league in terms of expected goals. They're a top 10 shot attempt team, which means they've got the puck a lot. 
obviously would like to see them create a little bit more quality. But look, they've done what we've hoped they would do in progressing from last year to this year. The kids have taken a step for the most part with Lafreniere, you know, regressing slightly, but there's still time with him. Uh, the goaltending has stabilized. And the Trocek signing has worked out. And, you know, look, do we want the power play to be more effective, more lethal? Sure. But but the, especially just the overall team play has been better. You know, I don't think they had any games last year like they did Tuesday night against the Wild, where they put up 90 shot attempts and pretty much utterly dominated the puck from start to finish. Um, they can do that now. And that's a team that's dangerous in the playoffs with their goaltending. So don't overcorrect at the deadline. You don't need to use every last dollar, you know, but you've got five five and a half million dollars or so flexibility. I think that's enough. Um, do I think Sammy Blay might might be off the team by then? Sure. Um, but it's also not standing in the way of them doing what they need to do at the deadline. Um, okay. There's one, one more. more question. Yes, there is. I saw it came in late from at bill to spill our favorite. Uh, how much more does Heedle have to do before he seriously forces them to swap him and Trocek on the depth chart? Because he's kind of right there. So again, we did sort of touch on this earlier day, but, but, you know, do you have a, do you have an initial take on that? You know, can, can Heedle fully supplant Trocek as the, uh, second line center in, in name and in ice time? Can he? Absolutely. What I love about Hedl and Trocek is they are both three-zone players. So you can put them in a shutdown role, and they'll be fine. You can put them in a scoring role, and they'll be fine. So it's really a matter of—it's a salt-to-taste kind of a thing where what do the Rangers need, and where is the chemistry? And. Right. Maybe beyond this season, we're looking at, okay, who's trending up, which is going to be Heedle, and who's probably better off limiting their ice time a little bit to save their legs, Trocek. So yeah. I do think next season we wind up with Panarin, Heedle, Kravtsov, and I cannot wait for that line. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point and, and to what we talked about a little bit earlier, just to to, to touch on that again. You're talking about a difference of a shift or two a period between the second and third line. That also entirely depends on power plays and penalty kills yeah, and injuries, yeah. which happen a lot. It, it really is negligible. Look, your top line gets the most minutes, and that makes sense. I, I want Kreider, Kako, and Zibanejad, especially the way they're playing now, on the ice as often as possible. And anyone who tells you otherwise is nuts, <laughs> you know, because everyone, well, you know, Lafreniere, Lafreniere always comes up and I'm like, guys, like. You're insane if you don't think that line should be getting 17, 18 minutes of even strength ice time. From there, you're talking about it incrementally going down, right? 13, 14 minutes for the second line, 12, 13 minutes for the third line, 9, 10 minutes for the fourth line at even strength. And again, those numbers may not all add up depending on power plays and such. But to me, it's negligible. To me, I think you want depth and you want, frankly, a little bit of interchangeability in those guys in your second and third line centers because it's about having a strong middle six that, you know, look, you don't want to be driving yourself nuts in the playoffs about matchups. You kind of want to be the ideal position to be in is, OK, whether I throw Heedle's line out there or Trocek's line out there, I'm comfortable with them taking a shift against Evgeny Malkin. That's where the Rangers want to get to. And I think they're there. And I don't think they were there last year. I don't think that Gallant would have wanted to put the kid line out against their, you know, out there against Malkin, Malkin's line, which is, you know, nominally Pittsburgh's second line. Um, 
I think they could do that now. And I don't think Gallant would care. I think, oh, fine. You know, it's Heedle and Lafford and VZ or it's Heedle and, you know, uh, trade deadline acquisition, you know, and, and VZ or whoever it might be. I'm game. That's fine. As a matter of fact, I think Philip Heedle might score, generate some scoring chances against Evgeny Malkin, who is a player that he's, you know, whatever, 13 years younger than. Um, so, you know, look, I think it's a good problem to have. I don't think I... I don't think it's worth getting worked up over the difference in second and third line nomenclature <laughs> at this point. Um, Philip Heedle's a damn good hockey player. He's going to get plenty of ice time for the Rangers the rest of this year and and uh, in the playoffs, you know, God willing that they make it. Frankly, the, the biggest question for me is they've got to get that contract done. He's got to come back because if they lose him, that would be a massive loss. But that, yeah. as they say, is, is a discussion for another day. So, Dave, any final thoughts? I think we're going to wrap up here as uh, as we are well over an hour into this uh, this week's show. You know, I have no final thoughts. I am enjoying the current state of Rangers hockey. I, I was just going to say, I, I truly love the way this team's played lately. You know, the Devils game was frustrating, and and you know, I, I think maybe even subconsciously we didn't even talk about that this 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 week or on this week's show. But even in that game, I mean, they're right there. Yes, it sucks to blow a lead, but, they, you know, they hung right with a really good New Jersey team in terms of five-on-five five play. Uh, you know, they, they they outplayed Carolina. They outplayed Minnesota. We'll see what they do against Dallas, who's been very good. You know, they basically put forth a, a C-minus effort against Montreal and beat them handily. The Rangers are in a very good spot here. Uh, and they've got a couple of muffin games coming up. You know, now you'll want to avoid the trap. But they play Montreal again at home this time. Sunday, they play then play Columbus the next day. You know, Columbus is in a pretty bad way. So um, there are some wins on the schedule coming up, you know, mixed in with some tougher games. But, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Dave. I think, you know, things are good right now. We'll monitor the injury situation with Chris Kreider and Julian Gauthier. See how, you know, Gauthier comes out of Thursday's game if he plays in that. And uh, other than that, we'll look forward to speaking to everyone next week. So, uh, as always, thanks for listening to Live from the Blue Seats, and we'll, we'll talk to you next week.